Hey, this is Jeremiah Latimo, and this is Gates of Perception. The totality of the universe is it's just perception. And uh, it's how we perceive things. And uh, there are no facts, only interpretations. The, the psychical events are facts, are realities. And when you observe the stream of images within, you observe an aspect of the world of the world within. And so, you see, the man who is going by the external world, by the influences of the external world, say, society or perceptions, sense perceptions, thinks that he, he is more valid. Don't relate yourself to any person, anything, any idea. Tell me who I am. Thank you so much for being here with me today. If this is your first time listening, welcome, welcome. So today I want to discuss something that happens a lot, not even just in men, but in women as well. And what that is, is this kind of savior complex, right? This kind of, I need to save people from themselves, or I have this gift and now I have to save my family, or... It takes on many forms, right? And for the masculine, sometimes it's seen as the savior complex, but sometimes it's also seen as the heroic masculine pursuit, right? So where a man realizes he has some level of responsibility to the people he loves, his community, the earth that holds him, and his creator. He has some level of responsibility he has to assume. And in that, it leads him to embrace this kind of heroic pursuit. Like I'm there's something greater here for me, right? That discovery of that responsibility, but also the recognition of one's own purpose. And, you know, women go through this in their own ways. And I want to talk about both. How to, how to manage those responsibilities with the inner conflict that we have within ourselves when there's a part of us that realizes that we're contributing to change or we want to contribute to change but we also know that change only happens with you first right unless you change then nothing will change right so if you make that change then everything reflects that change right reflects that change in you not just in your friends not just in your partner not just in your family but collectively in the whole world and sometimes it's difficult to balance the understanding of hey, this change, right, that I want to see in the world must first take place inside of me, right? And then going into the other side where, wait, I have a responsibility to create change in my life and people around me's lives, right? I, I have something in me that can actually contribute to some change, that some tangible change that I can even see for myself. So it's that balance, right? Because if we lean too far into one, the imbalances manifest very differently. And we know when we lean far into, I'm creating change in the world, that shows up as the savior complex, right? We believe we're saving other people from themselves and um, that we're creating some change here that couldn't be possible if we weren't here, which on some level is true, but it's about balancing it with this understanding, with this level of humility and sincerity in, in walking that path and embracing those responsibilities. So that's really what I want to dive into and explore with you guys today. So let's get into it. So in each of our lives, there is a moment 
when we question why we're here, when we ask ourselves, what is my purpose? How can I make the most out of the time that I have in this life? And so through that, we go through a period to where we do question that, but we also don't know what it is. And then we become sure of it. And then we let go of that. And then we become doubtful. And then we rise and we do become sure. We do regain our confidence and we remember what it is that we're here to do. But through that, sometimes the path shows itself in different, different ways. And sometimes it takes us into a place where we're really doubtful. We don't even know why we're here. We don't understand why we were given the gifts that we were given. What am I supposed to do with them is one of the biggest questions we might ask ourselves, right? And sometimes we feel like, wait, is it more comfortable to shrink myself, right? Than to embrace this big, big responsibility, this big journey that I have ahead of me and this essentially my destiny. So sometimes we actually have an understanding of what that is. But sometimes it actually frightens us and we pretend that we never saw it. We pretend that we never had these gifts. We pretend that we didn't feel that there was something that we were a part of that was greater than ourselves. We pretend we didn't feel that and choose these these careers, right, that, that allow us to remain comfortable, right? But then there are these big, big moments in our lives where everything does make sense, right? The gifts that we have the awareness of those gifts and how to utilize them become so clear to us. And for me, one of the biggest ways that I've noticed this with myself and other people is that early on, when we, especially when we start to do the healing work, we start to transform ourselves, we realize that there is a responsibility we have to our own bloodline, essentially, right? To our own family. Sometimes this is referred to as breaking generational curses, right? We feel like, whoa, I've, I'm the black sheep. I've done so much healing within my own life on myself that I, 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 I now embrace this responsibility to heal these generational curses, to help my family heal, right? To help the bloodline, to, uh, to ripple a wave of healing throughout the next generation. But that's where it begins. Usually when we start to take on this savior complex, we first see it with our families. So one of the things we start doing is then we believe that we can save a family member from themselves. Sometimes it's, it happens really, really early on where we have a caregiver. It could be our mom, it could be our dad. That's just super stressed. We can tell that they're having difficulties with the world. They're under a lot of stress. They you know, are dealing with a lot of things, right? And we abandon ourselves and we become that perfect child. We become that good child, that one that's always smiling, is always getting the good grades, right? That overachieves. And in order to make our parents happy, to relieve them of the burden of being in this world, right? So from that, we form some kind of like codependent relationship as well, because we're abandoning ourselves to save or rescue one of our caregivers from themselves. But in that, those are the first seeds of this kind of savior complex, where we believe something inside of us can actually liberate them from something inside of themselves, right? Something that's happening inside of themselves, that we ourselves can take that away from them in some shape or form, right? So we carry that responsibility, but then that responsibility becomes a burden because we then carry, we then internalize when things don't work out well, right? We internalize that that was our fault, because we'd assume the responsibility of their healing 
So we must also then assume the responsibility of their pain. So when they're not happy, right? When they're not in a good space, when they're not regulated, when they're not inviting us to go to McDonald's and have a big family dinner there, when they're not doing that, we then take it upon ourselves and say, oh my God, this is my fault. This is something that I'm doing. I, you know, what can I do differently, right? You know, it's a double-edged sword because from that place, of course, when they're happy, when they're smiling, when they're having a good day, a part of me can feel like I I can take responsibility for that and be like, oh, that's because of me, right? I, I got I got great grades this month. You know, I was at school, I got all these awards, right? And they're telling all their friends. So, you know, my parents are very happy right now. I can see them celebrating. I saw my mom crying at my graduation. Like I'm taking full ownership of her joy in that moment. But when she's not feeling that way, then I also take ownership of that pain. So this is usually the first moments of where we're being connected to our own gifts and our own abilities and realizing the power they have in creating change with the people around us. And then this seed, right, takes another form when we become adults and we enter that healing stage, right? And now we're looking at our family and we're like, wait, 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 my mom is traumatized. Like she went through so much, but I've healed through those things. I can, I can, I can help her. I can save her. So again, it's still the child inside that's repeating it. But now as an adult, that's actually went through deep healing and transformation and feels like they can liberate their mother, their caregiver, whoever it is, their father from something inside of them. Right. So again, we're manifesting, we're taking on this kind of savior complex where we believe we can actually stop their pain. But in doing so, because the thing about rescuing, the thing about saving others is that it looks helpful from the outside. It looks like we're doing something great. Like we're contributing in so many amazing ways to their transformation. But in truth, it's very disempowering because we're saying, I see you as this wounded person. I see you as this person that can't take ownership of their own life. I see you as this person that is afraid of responsibility. And in seeing that, because I'm capable of doing that, because I take ownership of my life, because I'm in my power, I will help you out, right? So we're seeing them from this lesser state, but in doing so, we actually continue to disempower them. We keep them in that state, right? Where they feel they can't take ownership of their life. They can't take responsibility for their healing. They can't get themselves out of the situation they're in. So on the outside, it does look like we're doing something really great. But in truth, we're actually disempowering them. So the most empowered thing to do is to honor their sovereignty. So one of the things we learn on that journey, right, especially, and I'm talking specifically about family members, and we'll expand out into this sphere of our purpose and our responsibility and our gifts and how that relates to the whole world and the collective. But specifically with family is when we really, really start to visibly see this kind of savior complex. And so when we feel like I can rescue them, I can save them from themselves, if I can just do this thing, if I can just heal this thing, if I can become more understanding, if I could, you know, reflect on my shadows a bit deeper, something will transform inside of them and therefore allow them to heal and our relationship will be better, right? But it's not respecting and honoring their sovereignty, but also the uniqueness of their own journey. Because the thing about believing that we can save them, 
believing that there's something inside of us that can stop the torment that's happening inside of them that they've chosen to experience, right? For whatever lesson they have there. When we do that, we are rooted in a seed of arrogance because only their creator knows why they're going through those specific things, why they're having those specific sets of experiences, why they're repeating that cycle, why they keep repeating those themes of of pain and suffering. Their creator is the only one that knows that and the one that's orchestrating that for a greater purpose, for their greatest good. For me to say that there's something that I can do that can stop that process or that thing that they're going through, that experience that they're having shouldn't be happening and I need to take it away. That's rooted in arrogance. And that arrogance is the fact that I believe that I know better than their own soul. I believe that what I know, the things that I've learned, supersedes the knowledge of their soul. And that soul that understands why they need that lesson, why they need to repeat that one more time, why they need to abandon themselves again, why they need to lose the relationship with all of their family members. The part of them that knows that this is divinely orchestrated for them to awaken on a greater and deep level, we can't over we can't overstep our purpose. We can't we can't overstep our place in their life, our role in their life. And one of the biggest things that we can do for them is to see them as that sovereign being that does have that level of intelligence, that does have that level of wisdom to orchestrate such an experience for themselves that is perfectly curated for a deeper awakening. Not just in them, but also in me. Because as I'm realizing this, as I'm watching the journey, there's a transformation that's happening in me, right? So it's actually serving all of us. But it's about coming back to that place of, wait, 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 I need to be the change that I want to see in others, right? Because if I want people to be in their divine essence, if I want people to live from their deepest heart, if I want my family, those that I love, to live a beautiful life, I need to also honor myself. I need to also be with myself. I can't abandon myself to try to rescue somebody. How is that allowing them to enter a state where they could do those things, right? If I don't first see them as an empowered being, right? As a divine being that's orchestrating this for a greater awakening, how can they ever get to that place if I don't see their light? So if I can't see them in their fullness, that must mean on some level, I'm not seeing myself in my own fullness, because when I'm empowered, when I'm sitting in the seat of my own power, I can always see that within other people. Even through the chaos of their experience, I can still see them from that empowered seat and see them from a greater eye of like, whoa, I'd see why, you know, you would orchestrate that for yourself, right? And to honor and respect that journey. So when I can do that continuously for myself, it means that I'll I'll be able to extend that to others, right? And then from there, I know for myself, the decisions I make, whether that's to support, whether that's to provide guidance, whether that's to provide insight, I know it'll be from a place of seeing them as that empowered self, not the one that needs me, right? Or it doesn't have anything within themselves, isn't connected to anything with themselves and needs me so desperately to bring that guidance, to bring that insight. So it's to ignore the fact that just as I have a guidance system inside of my body, just as I have 
angels, right? Ancestors, a, a, a greater spirit that guides me and has led me to this point in my life. So does those that I love. They've also been given that. Even though I may not see them connected, quote unquote, connected to it, I know that they have it, right? So I'm also not going to disrespect their own guidance. Like they have a guidance system. And if that guidance system is leading them to do certain things, to enact certain traumas, to repeat certain cycles, then I, I have to trust that it's serving them for a greater purpose and come back into my body. You see, because if I'm doing that, if I'm contemplating all these things, I'm trying to fix what's happening inside of them. I have to eject. I have to abandon myself in the process because what I then do is over function. I over explain, right? I'm always present. I'm fawning, right? This is kind of like people pleasing thing that I'll start doing then because I'm forgetting myself. I'm losing sight of myself throughout that whole process that I'm trying to save this person. And these are the seeds of a codependent pattern. And then so we do that and we enact this even in our own personal relationships with our partners. We see them going through something, right? And we believe we can save them from themselves. We can change their mindset. We can change this pattern, this behavior about them. We can change it. There's something about us that's in here that can change that in them. We believe that. Where that is coming from is that little girl and boy that believed that they could change their parents. That could have stopped their pain somehow. That could have stopped the, the pain that they were feeling by being a good kid, by not fucking up, by being the happiest, by being the mascot of the family, by shrinking myself, I, I can stop the pain that they're experiencing. So now it ripples into all of my adult life. And then I go through deep healing and transformation. I'm still doing it again. So coming back into our bodies, coming back into the relationship with ourselves, being like, this is the most important thing. How can I be here for myself? What do I need? Because all of that is fixated on what does the other need? Like, what do they need? And when we fixate on what do others need, but losing sight of ourselves in the process, we form that codependent pattern. It's mastering the art of interdependence to where it's like, I'm here with my needs and I'm also present with yours. And I understand the ones that I can meet. And I understand the ones that depend on you and vice versa. So that's more from a sphere of interpersonal relationships and family members. But then we have this sphere that then expands, that then expands, right? And then touches the world, the collective. Let's say I didn't address the things that I mentioned before. I didn't come to that place inside of myself. But now I've realized I have some amazing gifts that I'm here to bless the earth with, right? Now I'm like, oh, wait, I'm here to like, I'm here to like save the world in some shape or form, right? I'm here to change the world. And I believe that. But I'm not rooted in the fact that I have to be the change first. But so what I end up doing and what I've seen a lot of leaders today do is that they believe they're the ones that's creating the change in the world. This is what develops the savior complex is that we believe we're the ones 
creating the change in the world. Why is that a problem? It's because the seat from which we believe we're creating change in the world is from a place of inadequacy. So it's, oh, there's some kind of story that's being rewritten. There's a childhood experience that I'm redeeming as I'm seeing myself change the world. That experience of being verbally abused, that experience of being told that I was never good enough, that experience of being told I don't matter, that experience of told I don't belong here, right? Because I haven't worked through that. I didn't confront my past, but now I'm using all of the things that I'm doing in my life to actually redeem that aspect of myself. So I'm already coming from a wound-based response, Right? I'm already answering to the call of life from a wound. I'm not answering it from my seat of power. I'm answering it from my wounds, my deepest wounds. So from that, my leadership, my gifts, my power, the change I create is going to be distorted. It's going to reduce the quality of that leadership because I'm coming from a place of inadequacy. Right, So it's about also recognizing, like being in tune with our own weaknesses, our own traumas. Because if I did not confront that trauma, when I step into seats of power and influence, that leadership, how I show up, is going to be reflective of those deep wounds. So what do I need to do? How do I then, how do I move differently then? One, I have to address my own trauma. I have to confront myself. But the other thing is that I have to develop a conscious relationship with my own weaknesses. What I mean by weaknesses is recognizing that if I have a need to feel special, if I have a need to be the deepest one in the room, if I have a need to feel like my truth is the greatest truth anyone's ever heard, my wisdom is the deepest wisdom anyone has ever heard. What I have to offer, nobody has to offer, right? Not from a place of uniqueness, but from a place of ego. If that's the place that I'm at with myself, that's a weakness. I need to identify that. I need to become conscious of it. Because that can be exploited at any given moment. When I enter seats of power and leadership and influence, because other energies... Other people will see that and exploit it, right? It's like, oh, this person needs to, they, they need to feel special. Let's put them in the seat. Let's give them this role. Let's give them this position. And then what happens? Everything crumbles. Because I was coming from a seat of, I need to feel special. And what happens is you also see it a lot in leaders today, celebrities or whatever it is, is that when that's taken away, when not all of that is taken away, they have nothing. Why? Because they were coming from a place of inadequacy. So their self-esteem, their self-confidence is sourced by their approval, the success, their validation, the accomplishments, the love they receive from others. Not from themselves, because there's nothing there. There's nothing but a void there that they have not learned to feel. Not f- so they're attempting to fill it with all of these other things, right? And so when I'm trying to fill a void, not feel it, what will I do? I get hungrier and hungrier for that. Because the more I fill it with something else other than my own love, the more I desperately crave for that thing. 
whether that's acceptance, whether that's validation, whether that's success or accomplishments or even power, the more I'm going to crave that because this void only grows larger the more I fill it with something else other than my own love. The important thing is to do the work on ourselves to bring us back into a place to where we don't we have a conscious relationship with that void. That void might still be there, but we know where the void is. We fill it with our own love and we feel it completely. We're not avoiding it. So what happens is there's a diminishing of the part of us that feels like we need to save everyone to feel inadequate, to feel to feel valued, right? To feel that we have a purpose, to feel like we we're doing something great here to silence the voices of inadequacy. So when I said that you are not creating the change you're seeing in the world, when you come from that place, when you're seated in yourself again, when you are relating with your shadows from a conscious place, what you realize is that you're not creating the change you're seeing in the world. You're just a channel. You're just a vessel for that change to come through, to manifest into the world. It's not coming from you. It's happening through you, right? So you're essentially a prism, right? And light is passing through you, but you can't take ownership of the light that beams into the world. You're the prism through which it passes through, but you're not that, you're not the light. So what we can take pride in is being that prism, right? Is being that vessel, is being that vehicle for that change to happen. Because there is power in being a vehicle. There is power in being an instrument of God. It's like, wow, I fine-tuned myself to the point to where God can use me as an instrument. Because that's no easy task. You can see a lot of the people here today in the world don't come to that place within themselves because they're so clogged. They're so they're so entangled by their own trauma that they can't clearly listen to a higher message, can't listen to God. They can't tune into a higher guidance because they're so entangled and troubled by their own thoughts, by their own trauma, by their own pain, right? They can't hear clearly. They can't see reality clearly. But to be a vessel requires a level of clarity, a level of purification, right? a level of receptivity, even a level of obedience. Because once you receive a message, right, from a higher force, a higher power, a higher guidance, you also have to be obedient. You say, okay, you, you're telling me to do this? Okay, I'll carry out that will. Right, there's a level of obedience that you also have to master. So what I'm saying is that there is pride. If there's any pride that you take in, it's in being an instrument. And understanding that it takes deep, deep work to be able to be receptive to these messages, to be able to refine and hone in on your own specific gifts and find a way to create visibility for those gifts, to share them with the world. It's not an easy task. So we can take pride in that. What I'm saying, the difference when people take pride in that and being an instrument is that it becomes very difficult for them to actually fall into a savior complex because they're not attached to what they're doing. They're not attached to the change that's happening through them. They're not attached to it. They're observant of it. 
they're happy about it, but they're not attached to it. They don't attach their identity to that. They attach their identity to being an instrument. Two completely different mindsets. When we believe that we're creating the change, right, instead of seeing it happening through us, one of the things we also believe is that we're doing everything. But this is, again, it's coming from a place of arrogance. We believe that we're doing all of the things that we're seeing happen in the world, change that's happening in other people. We believe we're doing it. But there's a powerful quote from one of my favorite teachers, Nis Gardata Maharaj, and he says that you are not the doer. And why that's important to see is that when we believe we're the doer, we develop an attachment to the fruits of our labor. So from that, we can't actually be in service because we're attaching ourselves to the changes that are happening to the fruits of our work. We're attaching ourselves to them. So slowly over time, that service to others becomes service to self. And this is what we see in the world today is that people are serving the world, but the service they're actually providing is one that's based in their own self-interest. Because when you're in service to others, it's not about you, right? The last thing your service is, is about you. You are the last thing on your mind when you're in service to a community, to family, to the earth, to your creator. The last thing you're concerned about is yourself, because it's a very selfless space that you're in. It's a seat of devotion that you're in. And then from that, you're only thinking about is how you can be in service to a greater will, how you can be in service to a greater purpose, the purpose that shaped your purpose. So it's, it's not about you. So when you believe you're the doer, you make it about you. You make your purpose about you. So from that, you can quickly fall victim to an unhealthy ego. And that becomes the driver of your actions, your accomplishments, and the service you provide to others. So I'll give an example of how I've seen this manifest over and over and over in men's life, couples, and just throughout the whole world. I've noticed this happening constantly. And it's this idea that I'm here to break generational curses, right? That's a service to others. But now watch how this gets twisted and becomes service to self, but it's very, very subtle. And most people don't recognize that when they say, I'm here to break generational curses, they're centered in a place of inadequacy. They've assumed some higher purpose to fill the gap in where they don't feel like they fit in the world. And where they feel like their truth doesn't matter, where they don't belong, they're filling that gap in, right? With this like, oh, I'm here to break generational curses. I'm here to free my family from this kind of trauma. Great. I found what I'm here to do, right? So what happens from that place, right? That seat of action I've seen happen multiple times is then people get excited about having children, Right? It's like, oh my God, we're going to have children or I'm going to be the father. I'm going to be the mother that my parents weren't. And then through that, we're going to break all these curses. We're going to teach our children things that you know our parents didn't. Right, We're going to teach them about, about their history, who they are, how to heal. 
we're going to be we're we're going to be so present for their life right they'll never have to go through the things that we went through and from this we're going to be able to really break these generational curses so people don't see it's very subtle so beneath that your intention for that your motive has nothing to do with the child that you want to have with the children you want to give birth to it actually has nothing to do with them but everything to do with you so how is that service to your bloodline how is that service to your family if the place in which you want to give children is being centered in yourself so let's go deeper i'm a guy that says my father never loved me my father was absent he was an emotionally unavailable father and he just wasn't really present in the ways that i needed him to be but when i grow up i won't be anything like my father i'll have kids i'll have a son and i'll be fully there for him i'll love him in all the ways my father couldn't i'll be present in his life i'll be emotionally available so if i continue this and i have children i don't realize that i only had this child i've only had children to say fuck you to my dad to say hey i was a better father than you look at my kid right look look how my kid came out i he was had a father that was present i was always always emotionally available i was a great parent i taught him all the things you couldn't teach me from that place my biggest motive then is to get to a place in my parenting and my relationship with my child to say fuck you to my dad i was a better father than you i did what you couldn't right is that clear so again this had nothing to do with my child but everything to do with my relationship to my father and the bitterness and resentment that i have yet to let go of it had nothing to do with the child so i think i'm being in service to others i think i'm being in service to my family the world my future children my descendants but in truth i'm being in service to myself so the choice to be a father had nothing to do with my future child but everything to do with the wound that my father left behind so this was my own personal experience that i recognized that wait i've always been upset at the fact that i didn't have a father my father didn't show up in my life and i was wounded by that experience and i remember one of the things that woke me up out of this misguided expression of masculinity was whoa you're becoming like him and i instantly woke up i started getting my shit together i started taking responsibility for my life i started doing a lot of deep healing work and then i remember being excited about having a daughter having a son and i remember telling myself like wow i'm really going to be that father i'm really going to be that great father that i really wished i had and then it was only in light of my current relationship where i was able to realize that wait that has nothing to do with the child there's everything to do with the bitterness that i'm carrying between me and my father of course if i have children and i don't address this this is going to bleed into my parenting this is going to bleed into the relationship i have with my son my future daughter it'll definitely show up and i may think i'm being heroic and being a great father the father that is needed in the world but in truth i'm just serving my own unhealthy ego 
So from what I'm sharing, you can clearly see that it's very, very subtle, but it takes a level of awareness of our own weaknesses and trauma, the places inside of ourselves that are still holding on to pain, bitterness, resentment, even still feeling inadequate, and how through our service to others, will we try to fill those voids. The way we can really start to collect ourselves and bring ourselves back into a very powerful seat of service, right? But that's rooted in something that's that's centered in ourselves, right? Not our wounds, our deepest pains, but centered in who we really are. And that also takes an understanding of realizing that, you know, when we're serving others, right? When we're helping people out, whenever life calls us to do that, that who's helping and who's receiving that help is always open to question. It's not a fixed role or a fixed position that we enter into with people or communities, that at any given point, the dynamic can shift, that who is helping can be the one who's receiving help. And the teacher can be a student in that moment. The parent can be a child, and the child can become a parent. So when we fixate on the roles and the positions that we have, I'm the parent, you're the child. We forget that we are not a parent until we have a child. So the child actually creates the parent, right? So you see how these lines, these positions, these roles that we think are fixated actually be, actually really begin to blur. The parent is not a parent until they have a child. Who created who then? Right? Didn't the child then create the parent? Who came first? The chicken or the egg? <laughs> but it's understanding that they mutually arise. It's not who came first or this or that. It's and both. They mutually arise together. As I'm becoming a parent, my child is also creating me. Just as an artist, as I'm creating my art, my art is also creating me. I'm not an artist without my art. The art is what creates the artist and vice versa. So these dynamics are always completely fluid. So when we fix a, when we fixate on one, especially when we're in service, we'll lose the opportunities that we have to be receptive, to listen, or also take charge, to be assertive. Because if I believe I'm a student in a situation, I, I completely miss and don't see the opportunities that I have to actually teach somebody something. If I always believe I'm the teacher, then I completely miss all the opportunities where I can be taught something new. Every teacher really sees themselves as a student. They're open to all of life and understanding that the greatest teacher here is life. And that knowledge, that wisdom is embedded within every human being. And it's being in that state of openness, being in that receptivity to that by understanding my own role, by understanding my own position. That requires me to come back to my center. And in my center, I can see all of the things that I mentioned earlier, right? Which is I'm an instrument. And then we can see the other instruments around us. And then we can begin to hear the music of life, right? We can begin to tune to the song of all souls and harmonize with that, 
when we go against the flow, when we go against the song, because we believe we're creating the song, that our song is so unique, that our song is so different and needs to be heard, rather than tuning to the song that is already playing, that is already here. And it's about how can I harmonize with that? How can I come into balance with that song? And how can I tune myself to be an instrument for that song to continue? That's the work. And it's through that work that we are actually in service, that we actually begin to impact others, that we actually begin to create change in our lives and, it, and change around us. But it's coming from that place, like that center. And it's a completely different shift that happens inside of us and a completely different shift that we see in others when we come from that place. Thank you for joining me on this episode. If you know somebody else that would enjoy this episode, please feel free to share with them. If you like the recent episodes I've been sharing, please feel free to leave a review so that this message can reach other people as well. And thank you again for supporting. And I wish you a beautiful day. I wish you a beautiful evening. And I'll see you on the next one. Peace.